0: how we were raised or how our culture said, you know, if crying is, is uh, it's, it's a weakness to cry or it's a weakness to have, you know, emotions, but in reality and science is actually showing this, that um, that those same things that we may think about as weaknesses can actually be the, one of the most, uh, profound opportunities for strength and for not just for ourselves, but for for the planet, for other people.
1: I am Sadia Tariq, and you're listening to Dhani, the podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Nasheen Ranjbar. Born and raised in Tehran, Iran, until immigrating to the US in adolescence, Dr. Ranjbar developed a passion for a holistic view of medicine and healing from early on in her life. Throughout her studies and life experiences, including her own illness as well as caring for her mom who suffered from several autoimmune illnesses and cancer, to fostering refugee children with PTSD, to working with American Indian communities across the U.S., to working with asylum seekers, she developed a keen interest in approaches to healing trauma and advocating for holistic mental health. In our conversation today, Dr. Ranjpa talks about building blocks of childhood, um, trauma in childhood, manifestations in adolescence and adult life. She also talks about how we can um, self-identify, the importance of meditation, the importance of connection, and so much more. Dr. Ranjbar, thank you so much for being uh, on Dhani. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Ma'am, I've been looking forward to our uh, uh, discussion. Uh, but before I uh, bombard you with some questions, um, please tell us about yourself. What do you do? Where, where you are?
0: sure so i am uh, originally from iran i uh, was born and raised there until i was about 12 and then i've been living in the u.s um, for 32 years i know that uh, tells you how old i am (laughs) (laughs) so now i live after traveling some around uh, to find home i live in tucson arizona which is on the southwest corner of the u.s Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I work as a child and adolescent and adult psychiatrist at the University of Arizona. Um, And then I also do work globally and uh, with uh, various global trauma relief programs um, through the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. Um, And I love working with Indigenous people. So I work a lot with Native American communities and um, people of the First Nations um, so that's a little bit about me.
1: Um, yeah well, uh, since you mentioned um, and i've um, I've heard a few of your other podcasts as, as well. and um, my first question here is that um, which is something that you must have uh, you know answered many a time. but um, how do we connect uh, trauma? childhood trauma uh with mental health um especially in adolescence or um, adulthood
0: <clears throat> yes uh trauma is you know a buzzword these days uh and it is quite complex uh it uh you know, sometimes it's important to define it <laughs> so mm-hmm. we know what we're talking about. Sure. Um, and it is also in in many forms of trauma are actually part of life and nature. So it's um, thank you for that question. Uh, you know, I think about trauma as um, things that can happen to us that can uh, send us into a shock response or be injurious in some way to our to our mind, to our body, to our sense of self, to our beliefs. Um, and, uh, you know, you can imagine um, being a little kid and being bullied on the playground and told, you know, your you're fat and your ideas don't matter and you're ugly or whatever. And, and so that, that can be an example of something that can be traumatic in that moment to a child. But it's also fascinating because trauma is not um, uh, not everyone responds to an event or thing that happens the exact same way. So not everyone is traumatized by something that we might think of as trauma which is which is why it makes it so hard to know somebody else's experience. We can only imagine what someone else has gone through and what impact it may have had on them. But we will never really know because we can only become more aware of our own stuff if we're lucky. Um, and so, so to answer your question about the impact, so when trauma traumatic experiences, uh, say, um, child abuse or neglect or, um, you know, losing a parent when you're a child or having someone who's sick all the time and not able to take care of us as children um, or going through a war, you know, being a child in Afghanistan right now and watching your entire world kind of uh, flip um, and become unsafe uh, those kinds of things um, can impact the nervous system, uh, the hormones, the biological rhythms as they're trying to develop into an adult, you know, full, healthy human being. Um, they can cause inflammatory responses in the system that impacts hormones and impacts growth and development and impacts how well we regulate our emotions as children and then as adults. And so sometimes the impacts are not even seen early on. You know, when something happens to a child, you don't even really uh, get from the outside. You can't really tell that this child has been traumatized, but then it manifests later. Like when you said adolescence, you know, right when those transitions of hormones and and changes and shifts are happening in the system, then sometimes you see it. Or sometimes when that person is, uh, you know, going on and, and going in school and having a really stressful school experience or in medical school, like a lot of my students, you know, then some of these old traumas come and catch up with us because the system is trying to navigate another stressor and then some of the older things come to the surface. So I'll stop there, but um, it can really have um, a profound impact depending on what the trauma was, who the trauma was uh, received by, and what happens afterwards. Um, All of those things are factors that, that determine if a single person will or will not have depression later or anxiety later or PTSD later. Um or even heart disease or you know lung disease later, because th- all of these things are dependent on the various factors.
1: so as you as you mentioned that of course this is all subjective. it's how much an individual is traumatized. and often children uh, we don't know whether we are being traumatized or we have crossed uh, a traumatic experience so in terms of fully functional adults how can we self-identify and discover and perhaps even try and deal with uh that 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 experience how does it how can we identify in terms of how will it manifest in someone uh because you see not everyone has uh, the insight or the intuitive powers or even the resources to go to a professional and sort out uh, their lives?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a great, profound question. Uh, so, you know, in in Persian, which is my uh, my mother tongue, uh, they say, Khudshanasi uh, and Khudoshanasi. Um, And I'll just say you're reminding me of this, because it's all uh, comes down to continuous self-awareness practice, you know, continuing to get to know ourselves better and uh, becoming more aware and mindful of who we are, how we live in the world and how we relate to others and how um, you know, we all struggle, right? There's no one who is completely perfect as an adult. And 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 so, but we're not all the time uh tuning in to pay attention to some of our struggles and having compassion that some of those might actually be coming from some old things that uh we have gone through, perhaps haven't had a chance to Integrate them, understand them, um, uh, shed light on them so that we are not holding some dark, you know, t- dark past secrets um, inside that are actually perhaps contributing to our struggles now. Um, and this can be done in so many different ways. Like you said, not everyone has a professional to go to, not everyone has a you know, life coach these days to to work through stuff with, or therapist, or psychiatrist. Um, and so, uh, fascinatingly, there are a lot of practices and um, and techniques and modalities that have been around for thousands of years in all kinds of different cultures to help us become more aware of our thoughts, our emotions, our dreams, our our breath, our body um, sensations, language. Um, And so, you know, it's a life practice of, for some people, meditation, and for some people use of creative expression through music or art Mm -hmm. or writing. For some people it's, you know, connecting with others in a way that's authentic and sharing stories and getting to know themselves and others better. Um, And so in different ways, we can um, get into the practice of becoming more aware of who am I, what are some of my gifts and strengths, and what are some of the ways I struggle with and bringing a sense of compassion that some of these things even if we may not remember the exact you know series of traumas that have contributed to it um to bring compassion into our experience uh, and continue to explore because sometimes people become aware of something that they have forgotten about forever. And then they're like, oh my gosh, you know, it could be related that the fact that I was, you know, sexually molested or, you know, God forbid raped at age 12 or 15 or 20 could have something to do with the fact that every time I'm sexually active or every time I'm about to get pregnant, you know, there there is some stuff that comes up and there's grief and there is you know, struggle in my intimacy with my partner or whatever and just something like that can become an opening for um, further exploration and even compassion so we're not beating ourselves up of you know why do I always struggle with this or why do I get sick in this way all the time
1: mm. during whilst you've been working with uh... In the U.S. with various kinds of, uh, especially with children and adolescents, Um, have you noticed that somehow there's a stigma attached to mental well-being and one and two that the females are often sort of thought of as having these maladies and uh, they are unwell and somehow uh, you know they're the weaker sex hence they fall uh, Quickly towards uh, anxiety or depression.
0: Yes, for sure. You know, I struggled with anxiety and depression as a teen and as a young adult, and I definitely saw that as a as a shame and as a you know weakness in myself at the time. Um, and I see that in in kids and teens and parents, you know, all the time. And I think it's partly these uh, societal and cultural, um, you know, ways that <clears throat> people have thought about emotions and um, struggles and vulnerabilities as something negative um, as opposed to <clears throat> what Brene Brown, um, <clears throat> I hope your listeners are familiar with one of my amazing um Role models, uh, Dr. Brene Brown, who talks about the power of vulnerability, um, that, you know, within vulnerability, within trauma, within strong emotions, within hurt and pain, there's also this incredible strength and opportunity for, um, for courage, for growth, for, um, For the person arising above, you know, many, many challenges and actually being a voice of support and help to many others. And I think we don't always uh, focus on that, um, because of how we were raised or how our culture said, you know, if crying is, is, uh, it's, it's a weakness to cry, or it's a weakness to have you know emotions. But in reality, and science is actually showing this, that um, that those same things that <clears throat> we may think about as weaknesses can actually be the one of the most uh, profound opportunities for strength and for not just for ourselves, but for for the planet, for other people. Um, and there's a couple of things that were coming to mind and I just want to um, make sure that I don't forget. Oh, there is, you know, this notion of post-traumatic growth, for example, um, where some people who go through traumas, um, if given the right resources, the right support, the right um, environment, um, they can become emblems and symbols and um, incredible uh, strengths to their communities to the world even so some of the people that we see arising and doing incredible work in the world are some of the people who initially were struggled a lot and and even went through you know incredible traumas imprisonments abuses you know etc so uh, so it's not always as it seems on the surface Um yeah, I can say a lot more about that, but I'm going to stop now for now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ma'am, you have been working with um, asylum seekers. And in the recent uh, past, uh, we've had an influx, the Western world has an influx of uh, asylum seekers um, from South uh, East Asia, from the Middle East. And this is the new generation. This is the future generation um, who have been displaced, who have been traumatized, and now they are seeking home. They're seeking identification. And the most recent, of course, is Afghanistan, as you just mentioned. What lies, uh, what's the future for them?
0: (laughs) Well, I hope that it that they will be received with care and love and support by those who have the capacity and are in a better place to be able to to hold them. You know, they say that for each child, for each adolescent who's going through a really difficult um, time, it only takes one. Mentor, teacher, support, uh, guide in their life, who sees the the beauty in them, the the strength in them, the potential in them, to for them to um, be able to to really look beyond the the pain. Uh, it doesn't take you know an entire you know country to to see them exactly they the way that they need to be seen as a. As a you know brilliant little being trying to find a new life it really does take individual people to come into their lives and and take them under their wings or see the see the potential in them um, and so and then by the same token it does take a village to raise a child so I think about um, I used to be a foster mom for for two uh, Teen, children and and adolescents. One was a child. One was almost an adolescent from Afghanistan. They'd actually uh, lived as refugees in India for um, for many years, and then finally they'd come to America. And uh, and I was lucky to be their foster mom for six months. And um, it is incredible the the resolve, the potential, the courage, the the ways that. Uh, a community can come around a child uh, and and support them. I remember my my buddies and my uh, colleagues from school and other people would just like stop by and like bring food or take my my foster son to his soccer game and you know sit and do you know something fun with my daughter and and it was amazing how just my little action of, you know, wanting to have these two with me had um had this impact of bringing a circle of support around me that I didn't even know existed. You know, Um so it's it, my hope is that each of these children, each of these adolescents or even adults from wherever are seeking shelter and refuge, um, are able to be welcomed, be um, be supported, be mentored by at least one person, but hopefully a community of people who come together and and contribute because, like you said, the the young people are the future of our world, and the more we support them when they're hurting, the more they will, Come to a place of being able to do good for the community, the world around them when they're when they're adults, and when I see you know suicide bombers and you know people who go down kind of the the dark path of killing others or whatever, I always think you know what traumas might have this person gone through as a child or as growing up. And was never healed, was never given opportunity to integrate and, and get support for for what they had faced, that it has hardened to the point of being destructive towards others. So in a way, when we support others who are more um, struggling more than we are, we're actually, you know, supporting the entire generation that comes after us. From pain and struggle and trauma and more trauma, um, so it's uh, it's like trauma healing is the gift that keeps on giving.
1: Wow, uh, God bless you for uh, for taking in those children, and of course, you're doing this community work, and you also have developed this uh, this this program of holistic healing. So, is that a departure away from your original uh, world of psychiatry, or is it integrating, uh, uh, the, you know, that medicine with with holistic approach to trauma healing?
0: Great question. So, you know, again, it comes down to words and definitions. So integrative medicine or integrative psychiatry, which is what I call what I do, is really about, uh, like you said, a holistic view of physical health, mental health, spiritual health, emotional health um, that uh, encompasses both the most modern findings of science with um, while really integrating that with indigenous ancient wisdom uh, about how to take care of ourselves and how we are all part of this natural uh, environment and world that we're a part of. And when we're out of balance, disease manifests. And so integrative psychiatry, which is what I um, practice and teach to upcoming students and psychiatrists um, who are uh, really hungry and thirsty for this more more holistic approach to practicing medicine, uh, really means paying attention to somebody's strengths. So when a patient comes to see me, I don't first ask, you know what's wrong with you why are you here i ask tell me about some of your tell me about who you are tell me about your strengths tell me about things that inspire you and even just the interview starts with something to see them as a whole and not just for the anxiety or depression or or psychosis or whatever else that might be struggle they might be struggling with and then In addition to that, it goes to looking at the building blocks of mental health or health in general. So nutrition, physical activity, play, a sense of meaning and purpose and spirituality, um, uh, mindfulness and meditation practice, um, relationships, connection and community, a sense of belonging. Um, all of these things can contribute to how healthy the nervous system is to then be able to handle the genetics, the the traumas, the struggles that they might be facing, and the symptoms that they might be showing. So what happens with an integrative psychiatry is if you have a 100 people coming in with anxiety or depression or psychosis, they don't all get the same treatment because it kind of depends on all of these different uh, building blocks that makes them who they are, in addition to the contributing factors that may have made them slip into the symptomatology and disease that they're in, um, and then helping them with a combination of sometimes medications are absolutely necessary, so we start with those. Sometimes that is not the the highest good for them, and we can start with an with an herb or a supplement or. Uh, a a therapeutic practice or a mind body skills group I do a lot of my body skills training with people Um, and so there are many ways it's kind of like meeting people where they're at and not forcing them to do anything in particular but creating a treatment plan that meets you know their their needs and their you know financial resources and their community resources so it's a vast field and i can't say it's separate from modern psychiatry but it encompasses it and it goes way beyond um, instead of seeing people as just a diagnosis and you know just
1: the pill to fix it how amazing is that i was watching a program on netflix and uh, somewhere in there uh, there was this lady and she said that uh, um, she runs a wellness retreat kind of thing and she said that you know everyone um, has a crisis in their lives when they are not seen now i'm just wondering that as a child of course there's an innate you know, want and need to be seen, to be heard, and perhaps the same as adolescents and adults as well. But I'm just sort of verifying it with you. But is that true? Does it really boil down to the fact that when you're not seen things, there will be certain crises, emotional or physical or, you know, autoimmune wise, something will charge up and crack up. Yeah. Um, Yes, I could see
0: that. I think um, uh, being seen is itself an interesting uh, notion and and what we mean by that. The the reality is that a sense of connection, belonging, being loved, um, being cared for, being uh, valued as a little child and then as a human being. Uh, we all need that. It's like our nervous system, our, the way we are as, as human beings, we crave to connect. We crave to be loved. We, um, we crave to belong to, to where we are and who we're with. And so when, when as children we're meant to feel that our presence doesn't matter, Um, our ideas and gifts and talents are, you know, not good enough Um, or even, you know, told the opposite that, you know, you're never going to be as good as somebody else or you're acting just like somebody else. And, you know, this is the person I don't like. Uh, Those comments, those behaviors, those body languages impact the The capacity of the child to feel whole, to feel connected, to feel uh, cared for by the caregivers, by whoever is around them, and so uh, you're right. The um, being not seen, being not heard, being not valued um, impacts us because we are social animals, and we are. Um, we are constantly um, uh, yearning for connection with other people in one form or another, especially as children. Uh, now there's some you know, uh, neurodiversity as to what kind of connection and, and support and attention children and adults require depending on how their nervous system is set up because some people don't like to be held or you know, touched or uh, you know their their kind of need uh, for connection is different, but the the essence of belonging, of being um, acknowledged of being treated as a as a special um, contributor to the world is um is very important for for growth and development and into a healthy person oh
1: dear <laughs> oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Um, I just want to um bringing uh, the podcast to a close. I just wanted to say that there is so much displacement in this world, whether it's on religious grounds or political grounds or oppression. And I am just hoping that all those uh, displaced populations are met with uh, doctors like yourselves, uh, who can help them uh, sort their lives out individually, as you said, and not like, you know, one medication for everybody who suffers from depression. Really, really um, fantastic, fantastic work that you're doing. Now, if people want to know more about this work that you're doing and want to get in touch with you, um, do you do private one-on-one consultations uh, as well? How do they get in touch with you? How can they reach
0: you? <laughs> so, I um, good, great question. You know, I have to say. Um, I'm very much of the mindset that there's not, and um, there's never going to be enough doctors, you know, especially integrative psychiatrists in the world to meet the demands, right? Like we're talking about millions of people needing support, and here I am, you know, one little person in the desert in Arizona. <laughs> so uh, the work that has been the most meaningful for me is the work through the Center for Mind Body Medicine which is a nonprofit organization that has a train-the-trainer model to train people to do this work, even if they're not psychiatrists, even if they're not doctors, even if they don't have any degree, to hold circles and spaces and workshops for communities. So we do work in Kosovo and Gaza and Israel and uh, hopefully soon in Afghanistan or people from Afghanistan who are all over the place. In Haiti, you know, after the hurricanes, uh, we work with Native American communities. But what we do is we train people who are teachers, you know, community advocates, uh, firefighters, police officers, uh, psychiatrists, you know, whoever is is interested. We train them in this community-based effort to hold space for others to heal trauma. Because, you know, if this were ever up to psychiatrists to get accomplished, we would all be suffering forever. (laughs) Certainly, if you tried to do one-on-one consultations with me, the world would be in chaos. But I would highly um, encourage the listeners to look up www.cmbm.org. So that's the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. And actually, our next training is coming up at the end of September. It's a five-day intensive, and it's just an initial introduction to how you can care for yourself and your own trauma and stress and connect with others in healthy ways virtually now during COVID, but also how to get trained to take this work to your communities, to the Afghani refugees, to, you know, the schools. So we have, you know, teachers and... And people working in shelters and substance abuse programs doing this work, you know, without having the MD degree, which is really what matters because the work needs to get out into the community.
1: Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I wouldn't mind looking into it myself. But Dr. Rajpar, thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely uh, wonderful, wonderful talking to you. And... um, Uh, obviously a lot for us to digest and chew on, but also very, very heartwarming to know that there are uh, people like you out there in the world. Thank you.
0: Thank you. you. It's an absolute pleasure. And um, I am also on, you know, various social media. So I'm happy to continue these conversations and support your work.
1: Thank Thank you. you. Take care. How delightful is that? And you. Thank you. Thank you.